Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on January 23rd, 2023, I'm Gianna Volpe. Governor Kathy Hochul wants to build more housing across New York State, and she believes new houses and apartments within walking distance of train stations are key to that plan. Jonathan LaMancha reports on Newsday.com that Hochul set a goal of 800,000 new housing units in the next decade in her State of the State address earlier this month and said her plan is laser-focused on what's known as transit-oriented development. In doing so, she highlighted Long Island and Westchester for lagging behind other U.S. suburbs in improving in approving new housing. Quote, our investments in our world-class commuter lines have connected more people to jobs and created vibrant downtowns, Hochul, the Democrat, said in her speech. That's why it makes so much sense to build new housing in those same areas. But Republican Long Island lawmakers lined up to defeat Hochul's plan last week over objections to the way the state would increase its control over approving new development. Quote, we all agree that we have an affordable housing problem, said Republican State Senator Dean Murray, whose district office is in Patchogue, which has received praise for its downtown revitalization. Quote, what we don't agree on is how to fix it. We believe keeping it local for very real reasons is the way to go. Hochul's plan gives local governments three years to rezone the area within one half mile of MTA rail stations, including the LIRR, to allow 25 housing units per acre unless they already meet that target. The initiative is part of a push for transit-oriented development or the creation of mixed-use buildings near transit facilities to enhance an area's walkability. Potential benefits include greater use of public transit, reduced car traffic, and greater housing choices, according to research published by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. Here on the East End, Sag Harbor Mayor Jim LaRocca says a decision released on Friday, January 20th by the New York State Public Service Commission is a small victory in the village's effort to wrest control of the National Grid gas ball parking lot from the grip of developer uh, Adam Potter's 11 Bridge Street LLC. Stephen J. Coates' report on 27East.com that the PSC, while not issuing a final ruling, did determine that the village's objection to the 99-year lease Potter obtained for the property, quote, requires further review and the commission's... Uh, written consent. That's important, the mayor said, because in cases it considers minor, the commission delegates the decision-making to its staff. The commission said it will continue to accept comments at its website, dps.ny.gov, until March 6th. Following up on a story we've been following very closely here on the heart of the East End, warming waters tied to increasing summer heat waves have led to a reduction of dissolved oxygen in the Peconic Bay and other estuaries with catastrophic uh, effects for the Bay Scallop, a new paper concludes. While researchers have been examining a range of potential factors in the Peconic Bay Scallop die-offs, For the past four years, including parasites, algal blooms, and predators, the consistent trend throughout that time has been higher water temperatures and a corresponding reduction in oxygen. Those factors have stressed base scallops during the summer spawning season, putting them further at risk. Mark Harrington reports on Newsday.com that a new paper by top Stony Brook University professors in the journal 
Global Change Biology formalizes the findings. A summer heat wave that lasted for just over a week in 2020, for instance, coincided with repeated episodes of lower dissolved oxygen, stressing the scallops, according to Dr. Christopher Gobler and Stephen Tomasetti of Stony Brook University School of Marine and Atmospheric Sciences. They found extreme summer temperatures becoming more frequent under climate change exacerbate the vulnerability of bay scallops to environmental stress and have played a role in the recurrent population crashes. Quote, the last three or four summers have been warmer than in the past, particularly around the time the scallops are spawning, Gobler said in a Newsday interview Thursday. The research covers trends along the northeast coast to Massachusetts, an area he said is seeing outsized impacts from climate change. That consistent trend of higher water temperatures corresponds with reduction in oxygen. And finally, Matt Pascucci knows firsthand how daunting it can be to pick a career at a young age growing up in Hicksville. He thought he would work in law enforcement before taking a different path to becoming an executive in a field that didn't yet exist, cybersecurity. Grant Parpan reports on Newsday.com that Pascucci, 41, whose career began with information technology internships as a teenager and other speakers at the first Long Island STEM Hub Career Conversations event Saturday at Cradle of Aviation Museum told the dozens of students in attendance that it's never too early to think about a career in technology. Through learning opportunities and networking, the next generation can also make the leap into one of the growing science, technology, engineering, and math-related careers already offered on Long Island. Michael Nisich, director of the Entrepreneurship and Technology Innovation Center, an adjunct uh, computer science professor at NYIT, who helped assemble the panel Saturday, said one of the biggest mistakes students make in not pursuing a STEM path is thinking they're not good at math or science and therefore not qualified based on that one deficiency. Quote, stop that, he said, adding the STEM field, uh, STEM fields are are loaded with people who fill roles due to their artistic, investigative, or social skills. The free Saturday morning events geared towards students in grades 8 through 12 and aimed at connecting industry with education will continue monthly through the end of the school year. Future discussions will cover careers in manufacturing, aviation, energy, and healthcare. Uh, looking at the weather in Stony Brook, in honor of our first guest, Dr. Nikhil Palikar, joining us at the bottom of the hour for the Monday medica- uh, the Medical Monday segment, underwritten by Jennifer Benton. We'll be finishing a conversation on clinical trials going on at the Stony Brook Center of, Ele- of Excellence for uh, Alzheimer's disease. disease. Rainy today, high near 41 degrees. Northwest wind 10 to 18 miles per hour continuing tonight. Rain likely before 7, cloudy during the early evening, then gradually clearing with a low around 32 degrees tonight. Wind chill values uh, below freezing between 25 and 30 degrees. Northwest wind 14 to 17 miles per hour, uh, looking like 38 degrees right now and definitely overcast. I've got a uh, playlist for you that has almost all tracks beginning with the word B. Uh, I plan this one around a track called Be All Right from Jimmy Allen's 2022 record Tulip Drive. There is one track 
that uh, is a B track that doesn't begin with that word, and it begins with never be. It's a never be track. Uh, just because I just love that one. Um, and and we'll play a 90s classic right after it. It's going to be a nice dance party coming at you, which is nice. We need it on an overcast, dreary kind of morning like this. Um, William Devon, Coco Taylor, and Angus Stone. But first, Renee Geyer here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Uh, this is what I like to do for you guys, and that is be there in the morning. Uh, 9 to 11 weekday mornings right here on 88.3 and 96.9 WLIWFM. me 
From Renee Geyer to William Devon, you get a little bit of it all right here on weekday morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East End, on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
What You Want to Be from Coco Taylor's 1975 record, I Got What It Takes, leading us to the bottom of the nine o'clock hour on Monday morning, a little after midnight, if you're listening to the replay, and that means it's time for our Medical Monday segment. Uh, Always excited to welcome back to the show Dr. Nikhil Palikar of the uh, Stony Brook Center uh, uh, of Excellence for Alzheimer's disease, a tough topic, uh, but an, an important one. And I always learn so much from you, Dr. Palikar. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you so much, Yana, for uh, having me back. I really appreciate it. And um, I'm really excited to be here with you today. So the last time we spoke, uh, we we had more to talk about than we had time for. You were in the middle of discussing some of the clinical trials going on at the Center of Excellence for Alzheimer's Disease. So I don't know if you remember 
where we were, which which clinical trial we were discussing. But if you if you do uh, take it away, let us let us know what's going on. I do, I do. Thank you so much. And it's a very exciting time for patients and family members, caregivers of Alzheimer's, as well as clinicians and researchers who have been trying to find a solution to this illness. So a lot of exciting clinical trials ongoing, and uh, we are really happy to be able to be a central hub for all Long Islanders to receive cutting-edge clinical trials at Stony Brook uh, Center of Excellence for Alzheimer's Disease. So currently we have one trial that is really exciting I'll start with, which uh, is a trial to reduce the inflammation in the brain for patients with early-stage Alzheimer's. So what we know is that patients with uh, Alzheimer's disease start to develop a lot of inflammation in the brain, and along with the accumulation of these amyloid and tau proteins, there's also this inflammation that seems to be very closely related to how quickly the illness progresses. And this medication uh, reduces this inflammation in the brain. Um, and with that, it can help uh, slow the progression of the illness. So this is an ongoing clinical trial. And uh, we're really excited to see how it turns out. Uh, we have two more clinical trials at this point that are targeting agitation in patients with mild to moderate stage of the disease. So what typically happens is as the illness progresses, Patients start to get agitated and upset. Uh, they start to feel like, you know, uh, people are trying to harm them. Sometimes they can feel paranoid. Um, and we have some medications for this, but the medications have side effects. And so we're always looking for something that is effective, but also does not cause any side effects or minimal side effects. And so we have two current clinical trials that are looking at medications for agitation um, and I think that will help with, with, with this particular symptom that is extremely uh, upsetting to both patients and caregivers. And um, finally, we have one clinical trial that will start in, uh, in the spring of this year, around April, and that's for a new medication that will help with the symptoms of psychosis. Now, this also happens uh, quite frequently in the moderate stages of Alzheimer's where patients start to develop hallucinations. Um, unfortunately, they see things that are not there. They can hear voices in the head uh, of people talking to them. They also feel very frightened because they are fearful that someone's trying to harm them or hurt them. And this medication will help significantly with those symptoms. And so we are excited to have that clinical trial start in April. And a very exciting news <clears throat> that uh, was revealed to the community at the end of December of 2022 was a new medication called lecanemab. Lecanemab is a medication that binds to the amyloid plaques in the brain, yes. and it helps to remove these plaques. Uh, and this medication also showed to slow cognitive symptoms and improve functioning by close to 27 to 30% over 18 months. So it not only is it um, removing these amyloid accumulation, these plaques, but it also is helping with uh, slowing symptoms and improving functioning. This drug, uh, this medication was uh, uh, approved by the FDA through its accelerated process two weeks ago, <gasps> and now we are waiting to hear from uh, the Centers of Medicare and Medicaid, CMS, for coverage determination to find out if they are planning to cover this drug, which is really important because these medications can be quite expensive. Right. And if they do provide coverage for this medication, we will have it available at Stony Brook 
by the summer of this year. And this is really exciting news for all those patients and caregivers and clinicians who have been waiting this long for new medication. One caveat, though, about the medication is that this medication is approved only for the mild stage of the disease. Got it. Because that's the population that this this medication was studied uh, in. And so, um, unfortunately, people who have advanced to moderate or severe stage of the disease will not be eligible for this. But it's is a great opportunity to to uh, be able to receive this medication if you're eligible and uh, help with slowing the progression of disease. So we are very, very excited, and we are hoping to have more medications that are helpful in the near future. So it's a very exciting time yes. for the field. And for anyone who's interested in joining our clinical trials or getting more information, they can call us at 631-954-2323, and they can ask to speak with Daniel Emerson. Um, or they can go online to cedlongisland.org. Again, that's cedlongisland.org, and they'll receive a lot of information about clinical trials and new medications on the horizon, as well as how to reach us for an evaluation. Dr. Palakar, that is such great news. I mean, I, it, when you were talking about all the different clinical trials going on, I was remembering our conversation about these amyloids, about uh, the plaques, and about how uh, as uh, Alzheimer's develops, uh, the the normal process of removing these amyloids uh, diminishes. And so uh, this stuff kind of builds up. And what that this drug does, which which is uh, to remove the plaques. So what phenomenal news uh, that that has gotten FDA approval um, through its accelerated processes and is getting into um, the people who need its hands. Um, as far as you, you mentioned that uh, because this was uh, studied uh, on patients who have not accelerated to a d- degree, will there be uh, now trials to see if this is also an effective medication for them so that it might be used uh, by them in the future or uh, are you looking or or will it strictly be looking at uh, some of these other um, symptoms, uh, as you mentioned? Yeah, that's a great, great question, uh, Tiana. So I think as the drug gets um, in the market and is, is, is covered by Medicare um, and is used, I think there will be couple of uh, several groups of independent researchers or research uh, institutions that would probably want to look at the the benefit and the side effects of using this particular medication in someone who's in the moderate stages um, because I think as you said uh, as you rightly said there are a lot of people who have uh, a little more advanced disease who are not in the mild state at this point mm-hmm. and so can this be effective for them as well? It's a good question, and I think the research community will be looking to answer that question Exciting. in the future. At this point, um, the the pharmaceutical company, uh, ASI, that manufactures this medication and that has developed this medication has only done the studies in the mild stage population right. Right. for Alzheimer's. But, I mean, it's the response to this for, for families and patients must be, uh, people must be so excited that there is now uh, something out there. Uh, you know, there's a lot that is still unknown about Alzheimer's <coughs> disease. 
Absolutely. Uh, and we can feel that excitement because we get a lot of calls every day by patients and their caregivers asking about this new medication that's been recently uh, approved by the FDA. So this opens up a whole new um, treatment option for patients. Um, the current medications are not really very effective beyond the very early stages of the disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this new medication that has just been uh, uh, approved by the FDA through its accelerator process is definitely much more effective in slowing the progression. So I think overall, um, patients are eager uh, and waiting, and so are we as researchers and clinicians. Um, and we are hoping that uh, CMS will will consider this medication um, for its coverage, uh, and we can we can move forward with with providing this drug. Uh, just one thing about the medication: it is an infusion, so it's given in the form of an IV drip. Okay. And it takes about one hour to administer, and it's given once a month. So that's just some of the details about the medication. For how long? Um, but yeah, uh, well, I mean, the, in, the, in the clinical trial, that the two clinical trials that were conducted, patients were on it for 18 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but potentially, you could see patients being on it for several years um, mm-hmm. and uh, benefit from the effects of the medication in slowing the symptoms. We'll see. I mean, uh, in the coming years, we'll we'll learn a lot more about this. So I just wanted to echo that information for folks out there interested in learning more about the clinical trials at the center, CEADLongIsland.org. There's also a phone number, 631-954-2323. Ask for David. What's his last name? Daniel. So Daniel. Sorry. Daniel Emerson. Yeah. I wrote Daniel, but it looked like David. That's how that's how good my um uh my handwriting is. All right, Daniel Emerson. Uh doctor, you know, it, there's a couple questions I have. One is, you know, uh, when it comes to um mental confusion, uh having trouble remembering, uh, there must be a lot of people who come to the center and 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 you know, or, or have loved ones reach out thinking that that maybe uh, there might be an Alzheimer's diagnosis. How does someone go about getting diagnosed? Is it easy to tell once you do some sort of a, a brain scan? How do you uh, diagnose someone with Alzheimer's? It's a great question and a very important question because there is such a significant need for early diagnoses. Uh, just what we talked about, these medications that are coming out, they are targeting or they're focused on people with early-stage disease. So it's really important to know as soon as possible if you are somebody that's having this illness and can benefit from these medications or clinical trials. So the the diagnosis for Alzheimer's is a multi-pronged approach. Uh, It includes a comprehensive neurocognitive evaluation. It takes about, in our center, it, it takes about an hour and a half. It includes, uh, you know, getting some information from the patient and the caregiver who knows them best, uh, doing some cognitive testing in the office where we look at different cognitive tasks such as short-term memory, attention, being able to process information, um, planning skills. um, And then we are able to also order some blood tests because there are certain conditions that can cause you to have uh, poor memory or, or impairment in your memory. So we want to make sure you don't have any of those. Um, and then we also get scans to look at how your brain is actually functioning um, through a PET scan, PET. Um, and that is 
helpful as well. So once we get all that information at the follow-up appointment, which is normally about two or three weeks after your first appointment, we can go over this information and come to a, a fairly accurate diagnosis at that point. Um, so it's a very streamlined process uh, and a very organized process, and um, we'll definitely be able to get a very clear diagnosis. This is, you know, uh, just another reason for folks to uh, get in to see someone. Don't ignore it, especially when we consider the fact that there are uh, new drugs on the market to help folks in those early stages. Uh, I've got one more question, and um, it it has to do with these other um, uh, clinical trials that are going on, uh, particularly about paranoia, uh, psychoses, hallucinations and whatnot, although there is a lot that's not known, what might be known as far as uh, the proliferations of symptoms like these, uh, if anything, doctor? So um, typically as the illness progresses, it starts to impact areas of the brain that um, regulate mood uh, and also areas of the brain that are important to regulate um, you know, certain uh, functions of the brain, such as alertness, awareness, um, that prevents us from getting confused or uh, or an altered state in some ways where we start to have these hallucinations. And this is part of the illness progression. Right. You typically see this when patients progress from the mild stage to more of the, the early moderate stage of the disease. And the current treatment for these, medica- uh, these symptoms are the use of antipsychotic medications and we use these because we do not have other better options at this point. Right. Uh, these medications can cause side effects, and we want to try and avoid them. Hence, we are really excited for these clinical trials, which will have poor medications with less side effects that could be helpful for these symptoms. Um, but the best way to, in some ways, to um, prolong or to delay the uh, presence of these symptoms is by Catch getting the medications right. that can slow the progression of the illness right. earlier on. So we, we even slow or even we're hoping that in the future we might halt the progression of this disease in the very early stages. So patients don't even have to deal with these symptoms or the progression. And that would be a real uh, big win for, for everyone. Certainly crossing my fingers, but very grateful to hear about all the groundbreaking news coming out of the center and in uh, the Alzheimer's community. Dr. Nikhil Palakar, grateful, grateful to you. Uh, for returning with us, ceadlongisland.org. For more information, I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Dr. Nikhil Palikar. Uh, this is Angus Stone, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. You just heard the Medical Monday segment right here on the Heart of the East End, the weekday morning and midnight show on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
Ronettes and Fletcher Pylon leading you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour. But first, a two-song dance party. We've got Flume, Never Be Like You featuring Kai, and then La Bouche with the very classic 90s dance party uh, phenomenon, Be My Lover. 
Uh, before the Ronettes, be my baby. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Flume and Kai. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. What I would do to take away this fear of being loved, allegiance to the pain. Now I miss the and I'm missing you I'll never be like you I would give anything to change This fake minded heart That loves fake shiny things Now I'm messed up And I'm missing you I'll never be like you I'm only human, can't you see? I made, I made a mistake Please just look me in my face Tell me everything's okay Cause I got it Ooh, I'll never be like you I'm only human, can't you see?
it doesn't get more 90s than this. thought that was a snapback check this out
from two you've definitely heard before to one you might never have heard before. I certainly didn't before putting together this playlist. Fletcher Pylon's Be My from the Banjo EP of 2015, leading you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour. And the next local news update, Southampton Town Supervisor Jay Schneiderman joins us at the bottom of the next hour here on the Heart of the East End. The stars come out, the sun goes down, and the night keeps getting darker. I would try to see the light, be the candle in the fire. Crying, crying. 